1: I'm Jamie Carragher and you are listening to the Eye Podcast.
0: what is happening everyone welcome back to the Copy podcast uh new brand new intro first little go of that um sounded really good actually but um yeah i'm joined by evan we had we've just been discussing we had jamie on uh, a couple of weeks ago and he is from the east coast in boston so we are jet setting straight over to the other side of america to uh to cali and with by evan evan how's how's it doing how are you how are you
1: I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. We we already discussed the 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 time difference of you just getting off work and and me having yet to go in, uh opposite sides of the coin. But yeah, I saw that you had Jamie on, so I, I hit you up and I just made so much sense for you to finish your uh the the Coppite podcast preseason tour of America, if if you if you want to call it that. So
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take that. I mean, it's um. Yeah, it's, I met Jamie in person, so I mean, if that's me and you linking up has got to happen at some point, I'm sure if you come over for a match, so just to do a full circle with, um, yeah, a proper a proper tour of America, um, but yeah, nice one for for jumping on your debut on the on the show, and um, if people don't know, um, Evan does a lot of um, talks a lot of sense first and foremost, knows his shit secondly, but also makes a load of great like st- statistical graphics, um, and what with. Liverpool going through a bit of a mad couple of days or a, a week or so nearly now probably with um, midfielders leaving potentially with Henderson and Fabinho we thought we thought we had it sewn up with Sabislay and McAllister and a potential maybe one more but now it's it's gone a bit crazy so I think that the, the stats you have been putting out are really interesting and can kind of get we can kind of get a flavour of what Liverpool might be trying to achieve with with some of the uh, targets we're looking at but um. So yeah, what when you've been creating these, I mean, looking through all the data. I know you told me before we started recording that you're using like the the way you're doing it and getting into getting it into Canva and stuff. And you're obviously having to digest all that information as well. Um, just g- gener- gener- generally, uh, before we get into into a bit more detail, which which two or which couple are, are you looking at most that would potentially fill the void of of if Henderson and Fabinho go. I, you know, so many people have said it at this point, but the
1: market for uh, a holding midfielder, uh, specifically a holding midfielder for Liverpool football club is a bit thin at the moment. A lot of the elite ones are already spoken for. Um, a lot of the elite ones, 24 and younger, are already spoken for. So the scope of who Liverpool could target, um, depending upon how you look at it, can can be a bit slim. Um some some of the the mainstream links some of the more concrete stuff i can absolutely get behind for example i'm a huge romeo lavia advocate um i think in if if you're looking to tick as many boxes as possible in this midfield rebuild you have you have a lad who's who's young um he's got a quote unquote premier league proven tag on him you know some people care about that some people don't and he managed to shine last season in the in the worst team in the league. And, and when I look at his sort of just traits, he seems to have everything you would want uh, in a holding midfielder. And these skills can obviously be sharpened under a generational developer of talent like Jurgen Klopp. So at the top of my own personal list is probably uh, Romeo Labia. Um, just, you know it's not like the most mind-blowing uh, statistical profile because obviously one one thing that you'll quickly learn just sort of digesting stats and, and data and these advanced metrics and stuff is that these things are inherently biased towards better teams, not just better players, obviously, but better teams obviously boast a ton of players that uh, trend towards the top of, of these metrics. Um, what stood out for me about Labia um, is that you know, he he was trending really well, really competitively uh, against players whose teams were in the top half of the Premier League table. And he, despite, um, you know, playing for the worst team, just just seems to be constantly, constantly up there. Did you want me to go through some specific numbers, uh, Mick, if we could... Uh...
0: Yeah, 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 go for it. Because I've just been looking at the, um, the one that you've titled A Simple Game, uh, mm-hmm. which is ball recoveries per 90 and progressive carrying. And I think to see Lavia basically right in the mix there with some players who are (laughs) playing for much better teams is an indication of just how good he is and I think yeah but you can yeah feel free to to go through them
1: yeah so the the simple game one you know obviously um I I did that one to talk about Declan Rice's big move to to Arsenal um and it's you know I, I think Arsenal, while we're on the subject, Arsenal uh, splashing out 100 plus million for Declan Rice in this market is uh, perhaps a bit indicative of their sense of the market as well. This was their guy and they were willing to pay for him because they looked around and they didn't really see anything to them that was similar for their needs in, in a holding midfield sense. Um, so, yeah, but Lavia um, ball recoveries uh, per 90, as you can see, he's, he's right up there with guys like Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, Thomas Partey, uh not too far off uh certified ball winners like Casemiro and Tyler Adams. Um uh not, not 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 the most progressive carrying machine, Romeo Lavia on the ball. Um in terms of just driving it forward just through dribbling because I I just don't think that's inherently how Southampton played. His role was simply to facilitate, win the ball back, dish it off to a more creative teammate like a James Ward-Prowse or Alcaraz or, or any of those uh, more talented players that he had playing uh, in front of a more offensively talented, uh, I should say. Um, and he also, uh, one of the ones that got one of the most, probably the biggest swath of attention on Twitter, Mick, was the under-21 duelists and dribblers. Um, now, this one was limited to uh, under-21 Premier League midfielders um, last season, and uh as you can see, it, it's a wide range. Uh, you, you have offensively minded players like Harvey Elliott, Michael Olisse, Wilfred Nanto, but then you also have like holding midfielders like Caicedo, Kamara, Ducore, who's of course been mentioned today. Uh, and then Lavia is right up there with Caicedo. And and one of the uh, one of the main points I was I was trying to make um, about Lavia is I don't think there's a world of difference between him and Moises Caicedo in terms of the differences in their profile and the differences in quality um you know 50 million yeah it seems like all the all the clubs interested in Romeo Lavia are balking a bit at that price but I think in the right environment this time next year Romeo Lavia will be someone who's valued as high as Moises Caicedo you know 70 80 90 million we've been hearing for the last you know six months or so for for Moises Caicedo so I I think in the right environment like I said I think Romeo Lavia could be a shoe-in for a top five defensive midfielder in the world and his uh his background I, I think speaks to this as well you know this is a guy who's Came, came through Anderlecht's youth, youth system, um, was obviously picked up by Man City at a very young age, I think at around 16. But I think it's worth pointing out that he wasn't like a, a, someone picked up by a team of Man City analysts who were just, you know, running numbers like I do. And they just stumbled upon this kid. He was handpicked by Pep Guardiola in person at a, at a youth tournament in Belgium when he was 16. So this is a guy who's got the Pep seal of approval. I'd imagine Man City only let him go begrudgingly, and I think their their buyback option uh, s- says it all. I think that's at about forty million pounds, so right at the top of my list. Mick. Long story short, is is Romeo Lavia, and and I and I think he's more ready for the jump up than people give him credit for.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that I think is sometimes hard to to convey the message that you've just done very well to people who just want like i I suppose when when someone like fabinho goes he's 29 he's been around he's been the best in the world for ages but he's fell off the edge of a cliff when you're trying to tell someone that we're going to lose him but we're going to sign a 19 year old kid a lot of the responses are he's a 19 year old kid what's what's he going to do he's not going to come in and and be the player that we need he's going to need two more years three more years and I don't necessarily agree with it. I think you're the same. I think it's something that he's only played 29 Premier League games last year, but in the metrics that I've seen from the graphs and other other stats, um, and I know stats aren't a be-all and end-all, but even when you're just watching him, you can see he's got that um, agility. He's got the fire in the belly. He has got technical ability. He can link play. He can do pretty much everything you want a modern midfielder to be doing, and I think that he's rightly at the top of pe- people's most people's lists to, um to come in because because of those reasons I just mentioned and I think yeah it's it's going to be an interest amongst like you said 50 million does seem a lot but it's one of those that if we can get it down a little bit maybe 40 I think it's one of them like in like we've done with most of our signings in a couple of years, we go 40 million for Lavia. Now look at him. He's like 100, 100 mil plus. So it's one of those, sometimes you do have to bite the bullet and just say, they're not going to not going to budge, but we'll pay you, but it's going to be worth it in the long run for someone who underclop as well in a system which will be designed to, to get the best out of him and for him to thrive with the space that he's in charge of, I think is, yeah, it's something that I think we need to get done. Um, but yeah, just looking at some of the other ones that you posted, um, we mentioned before we started recording the progressive thieves one, which I mm-hmm. think is really is really interesting as well because that shows the um, interceptions per ninety and the ac- accurate forward passing percentage as well. And yeah, there's some there's some. I mean, obviously, sure, many is is just ridiculous levels. Uh, but there's some there's some yeah. really good names in there as well that we should be looking at. Like you said, Decoré as well is in in that one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh Ducore, uh
1: definitely a name that's been doing the rounds in the last twelve hours or so. Uh just but yet yeah, another thi- another uh another graph where as you can see Lavia's right there with Caicedo, uh, sort of sort of neck and neck, you know, not not a world of difference between the two whatsoever. Ducore right around the ballpark as well. Um it's worth noting that this is uh, possession adjusted interceptions per 90, which is more biased towards uh, teams that have the ball more. So if, if this was just interceptions per ninety, it would be much more biased towards guys like Romeo Lavia playing in compact systems towards the bottom of the of the table. If that if that makes sense, this uh, I don't have the exact ratio on the top of my head, but this takes the possession uh, percentage on average of a team and and adjusts it in, in a per ninety sense, so that it's it's more fair. So it, it just takes. It, it just takes the the possession curve, if it makes sense, and flattens it all out for everybody. And that determines who's actually a great interceptor of the ball. As you can see, regard e- even with that um, biased st- statistic against his team, Southampton, Lavia is still well above average uh, in this one as well. Um, Progressive Thieves is definitely one of the ones that got a lot of attention because, as you can see, these are sort of... These are these are central midfielders, uh, specifically U24. That seems to be the bracket Liverpool are shopping in. You know, I had some questions. You know, wh- why is it U24 only? I'm like, well, it doesn't seem like Liverpool are publicly interested in in any central midfielders above that age at this stage. Um, but this is specifically central midfielders, so in, inherently, a lot of these guys are who you would describe as out and out sixes um many like you said the one that got away Mbappe man and you know we said we said it before we started recording and he's doing it again too you know once again the the trend the summer transfer market is subject to the ebb and flow of uh Killian Mbappe's uh personal war with Paris Saint Germain so obviously what what will or will not happen with Mbappe will inevitably have some sort of effect on Liverpool's transfer business, whether that's in the macro or micro level, I'm, I'm not quite sure yet. Um, but yeah, Ducore, uh, definitely want to talk about him because um, I saw he was sort of tentatively linked uh, this morning, which would have been, I think, uh, this afternoon for you. Um, it's it's an interesting one uh, because he's never someone that ca- that's caught the eye for me. And, you know, I I'm, I can't sit here and tell you that I watched, you know, 38 games of of Crystal Palace. But one thing I have noticed when I've been doing all this research on Lavia and Caicedo and, you know, just under 24 central midfielders in, in Europe's top five leagues, Ducori trends very well, uh, usually. I, I I don't know. Mick, have you, have you seen a lot of Ducori? Is he, has, he, has he stood out for you? I remember it was kind of a big deal when they got him because... He was sort of a U twenty two central midfielder in Europe that could have taken a bigger step if that makes sense. But he decided to go and play regularly for Palace was was the move for him. But but what's your opinion on him? I'm curious.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm same as you. Like I've seen the stats where similar, where he's he, he seems to be hitting. The, the right metrics at the, at the, at the right time for, for, for certain mm-hmm. ones that you want in a profile for a midfielder, especially in a, a clock midfielder. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, it's the same. I've I've seen bits of him just from watching highlights of games, but I imagine not much, not it's quite similar to most people who just like watch Liverpool all the time and maybe watch the odd game if it's televised. But apart from that, he's not one that, has stood out but it, it it comes across maybe as I suppose at a Liverpool signing where um I, th- I suppose similar to uh, Zaboslai where it wasn't really highly linked for ages like it wasn't a long protracted saga where we were chasing this man and then we finally got him or we didn't get him um I think I think he probably fits into that same bracket where He's maybe just going under the radar a little bit with with how good he's being, and Liverpool are keeping tabs on him uh, reportedly. And it could be one that we could go for because, like I said, he, he seems to be do, doing well in terms of what what we potentially need in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously, since it's uh, the same like any, you know, when there's so many links to so many players, it's it's, it's difficult to, to keep abreast of all of them. But I think since we've been linked with him, it'll be one of them. I'll have to do a bit more digging into his history and stuff like that and see if he would be more of a fit generally for a, for a Klopp team. But I think that's pretty much my take on him. I think that's probably similar to yours, but I know you've, you've dug a lot into the, um, the stats and metrics. So I suppose you've got a, a wider range of knowledge of terms of what he can do on the, on the field.
1: I'm not super um, blown away by what he can do on the ball. Now I, I know that in theory, Assuming that Liverpool stick with this this new shape, where it's a double pivot in midfield with Trent being one of them, in theory, the the, the guy who's tasked with partnering Trent doesn't really have to be anywhere close to Trent in terms of a progressive, uh, visionary sense w- with the ball. You know, it's it's really kind of just win the ball back, make sure Trent doesn't get overrun, add some solidity to the back four in transition, and then you can let more creative elements uh around you do do sort of the heavy lifting in terms of br- uh breaking the lines and, and things like that so um i, I think on ball ability is a plus in in terms of who were who we're targeting you know romeo Lavia it's definitely better on the ball than people give him credit for both in terms of dribbling and, and passing but you know cool thing about why scout is that it, it sorts um every action a player makes um just in, in terms of these hyper-specific categories. So it can take Check Ducoré's um, key passes, for example, and I can watch every single key pass he made this season back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And there's, to be fair, there's just not that many. Um, admittedly, if that's not the instructions and that's just not how the team are playing, what's he supposed to do? As you you know, again, stats aren't the be-all, end-all of what a player can or can't be. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's something. it's one to definitely keep an eye on. I think so, because it, it seems to fit physically what we want in the age bracket that we want. I know it's a bit of an outdated quote at this at this point, but we went into the summer with the information that they were looking at Premier League proven players. Those were sort of getting the priority. Um, I actually had to upgrade or update, sorry, uh, Progressive Thieves, because um, the, the barometer was under 24 central midfielders in Europe's top five leagues. But there were two links doing the rounds um, that day, and I had so many people requesting that I just updated that I expand the, the top five leagues part to include uh, Edson Alvarez of Ajax and Florentino Luis of Benfica. Now, I'm not super keen on Edson Alvarez. Um, this might just be a bit of uh, lazy uh, analysis, but he's 25 and he's still in the Dutch league for Ajax um he had been strongly linked with Chelsea uh Arsenal Dortmund and none of those links ever came to anything within the last 24 months or so um and despite being as- literally off the charts in, in terms of his interceptions and-, and accurate forward passing you know it is with all due respect the air Vizier and as we know the the uh it's a bit different over there. We'll just say, but Florentino Luis is a bit more interesting for me. And I think he captures the imagination of the fan base a little bit more. Um, He's only 23 playing for Benfica, a a team that we know are not averse to doing business with us, but at the same time, a team that are not going to get bullied in negotiations. And, you know, we have a, uh, you know, an 80 million pound, uh, number nine to, to prove it. Um, but he he's really interesting. You, you said uh, off air that you weren't super familiar with his game. Um, he's, he's typically a bit more of an out and out six, I would say than Lavia, um, not really renowned for dribbling or you know some sort of insane passing range. I know he trends very well in passing in, in this in these metrics, but again, keep in mind the league that he plays in. Um, he's definitely someone more in the mold of a classic six if, if that makes sense. But what interests me more about Florentino Luis is sort of the route he's taken. Um, it's just a bit strange. So he starts his career off at Benfica uh, in 2017, 2019. He's breaking into the uh, the first team. And he's I remember back then, um, he's already getting linked to Europe's elite because he's burst onto the scene. He's the next wonder kid out of Benfica. I remember he... I don't know how concretely it was, but he was very closely linked with Real Madrid, very closely linked with PSG. Um, So he was already getting the Wonder Kid treatment back then, and he must have only been... What was that? 18? You know, 17, 18? And then it was a bit of a weird one, Mick. He he went on a season-long loan in September 2020 to Monaco. They... They had an option to buy at 30 million, but it didn't quite work for him at Monaco. Admittedly, that was one of the less talented Monaco teams uh, of recent years. But then he goes and he does the same thing again the following year in August 2021. Benfica loaned him out to Getafe, this time with an option to buy for 10 million. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because you not only was he a guy who was being linked. just a year or two before to madrid at 17 18 years old for 50 60 million the following season they're willing to let him go to monaco with an option to buy at 30 and then that goes so poorly that they loan him out to getafe a lesser team with an option to buy for 10 million and that is obviously a bit bit of an underwhelming stint as well he only starts 8 times for getafe so he comes back to Benfica in, in uh, 2022, and he, he wins over Roger Schmidt, who's just taken over the club, and he's put back into the starting 11, and it seems like he's done the whole Wonder Kids cycle at Benfica over again. You know what I mean? Like he's, he, he did two weird loan moves where they the club just did not rate him, seemingly at all. Then he comes back and he's just doing it all over again. So that's kind of what I was uh was what I was referring to when I was talking about his unique career path. Um and now his buyout clause is 120 million, you know, a club that only 2 years ago was willing to let him go for 10.
0: Wow, that is a that is a strange one. I thought you're going to I thought you're going to say like he got loaned out like load of times but I suppose twice and for a young player is I suppose quite a lot when he's trying to get his feet on the ground and, and- kind of raise his profile after kind of breaking through in the way that he did. But yeah, I think and you mentioned about about like um wild cards as well. Like who would your wild card be? Would would he be would he be that for you then in terms of a, a midfield option?
1: Yeah, I think he is the wild card. Even though he has been linked and it's someone that's like the timeline is talking about pretty commonly, he would be my wild card option because he comes from the the lesser league he's got the unique um skill set he's got the unique career path i'm not as keen on him as i am lavia obviously you know i've seen lavia play a ton i've done a ton of research um, at this point and i'm i'm not you know i do like an old school number 6 but i'm not quite sure florentina Luis just turns the dial for me in in the same way that that Lavia does because when when I look at Lavia, I see that that modern holding midfielder. You know, the, the guy who's a, a bit shorter than you know than taller guys like Fabinho and stuff, but he gets about the pitch really easily, really quickly, um, and he plays big. You know, he he's a bit he's a bit on the smaller side, but he plays big, and that reminds me of guys like Makalele and and Conte, guys who were slightly undersized for that traditional role but they played big and when you think of the best holding midfielders in history i mean it's hard to leave out guys like Makalele and and Conte. so lavia sort of reminds me of that profile a a little bit but a a little more in the in the modern sense but uh
0: who would your wild card be well i was just gonna extend your point and say we used to have one like like that in mascherano who was um Mm. Yeah, it's he was like, even though he was smaller, I think that's the, I think that's the, like I don't know a slight misconception with I get it for like centre halves and whatever, uh, and mm-hmm. Mashiha even went centre half for Barcelona towards the end of his career, which is even weirder, I thought but done well there uh, is like you, you need to be tall. In it. I think it's a benefit if you are because obviously Fabinho can win those aerial duels and um and stuff like that in the middle. But I agree. I think he's got the tenacity and I think he he can. If he's got a good leap on him as well, I think it's it's little things like that where if he's got the fight inside of him, then I think that overrides um, physical attributes in a way, if that makes sense. If you've got more desire and if Klopp instills that desire in players, and I'm sure he will in the midfielder like Lavia, then that can, that can always help. Um, yeah, I think for me, the wild card... I think I've just got a name, one that we were talking about before. I think Dakure. I think I think for me, it's it's one that, like I mentioned before, I haven't seen tons of, but I think he can provide. Like you said, he doesn't need to be amazing on the ball or whatever, as long as he's he's good at breaking up play and just passing it off to Trent and whatever else. And in a in a system where he could be allowed to convey those skills that he hasn't already conveyed, because maybe like you said. He hasn't had the opportunity, or he hasn't been instructed to do that. I think he could be one that, um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's definitely an interesting one. I think it's another one that I think Lavier will be top of the list, but I think, I think he could be one maybe in in the future. I'd be, I'd be surprised if he's there's other clubs not sniffing around him over the the next the next year or so. Um, but yeah, Evan, I just wanted to move on from. I mean, we could talk all day about players that we haven't got yet. I just yeah. wanted to talk about some players that we have got. Uh, and you mentioned that the duelists and dribblers one that on Twitter that went a bit mad. He had like 254 retweets. It went a bit crazy, that one. And um, top of that list, obviously that was under twenty-one players, um, Premier League players, Harvey Elliott was was top of that that metric. And I just wanted to just touch on him before we get into like season and whatever. Just wanted to get your opinion on him because it seems like he's been at the club for a long time, and I think even a year in footy nowadays with social media is a long fucking time. So I think, what is it? Three years he's been here, four years, something like that. So I think that yeah. is a that is a hell of a long time in footy, and if it, it always feels like longer, but he's only twenty. I think that's something that we signed him so young. He's still got he's got a lot of work to do still. I think that we can all. We can all accept that, but what what are your feelings going into this season? Because, like you said, if we keep the the system that we've been doing with the with with the box midfield, basically, Zabaleta looks like he's going to be maybe the first choice as the the right of the f- the front of the of the box, uh, top of the box, if you top top right of the box, if you like. Mm-hmm. But Elliot's an interesting one. I've, I've spoke about this quite a, a bit before about. He's got a big season as well. I think you can say that about all the players. Like Van Dyke's got a point to prove. There's loads of players with points to prove after last season. That that goes without saying. But I think Elliot in in there is is a really interesting one for me because, like I said, he gets, I think he kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. And people, there's still people lots to say. He's not a midfielder. He's X. He's Y. He's Z. He's a he's a right winger. He's a he's a centre attacking midfielder he's this this or that um what what are your thoughts on where he could potentially fit in this season
1: well i have hours of thoughts on, on harvey Elliott. <laughs> i am a huge harvey Elliott advocate to it's a bit of a reputation i i have in the uh liverpool twitter community um yeah it has been a while since we acquired harvey Elliott. it was summer 2019 Um, He was the lone incoming alongside Seth Vandenberg. And I think Adrian came that summer as well. Um, And I guess I'll start there because I don't think people have ever forgiven Harvey Elliott for not costing 50 million pounds, if if that makes sense. Um, You know, he's he's constantly attributed to that to that window that that people love to to throw in the face of Liverpool's transfer business of oh we won the Champions League and then we signed uh, two teenagers and a and a backup goalkeeper for like less than seven million, um, so I, I think he's always had people against him in in that sense you know when you when you uh, when you, when you're an internal solution let, let's call him that um, like a new signing you know just just things like that that sort of irk the fan base in the wrong way because it it stands uh, in comparison to, to spending money in the market. Um, yeah, he, he has been here uh, a while. He's been on the books for a while, but this the season that just ended was only his second season in the first team. And obviously his first season in the first team, uh, 21-22, it started so well, but then it kind of lost momentum with that horrific injury um, at Ellen Road. Um, and then after that, by the time he got reintegrated into first team training as he recovered from the injury we were on the quadruple charge and there was no room for an 18 19 year old to you know be be experimented with um in in that sense so it was uh it was sort of all hands on deck as we pushed for the quadruple um but this last season he's played a mammoth amount of minutes and he's been very very available uh very fit but unfortunately for him, this is the most dysfunctional team of the Klopp era, um, probably by some distance, you would say, specifically in the midfield. Um, and when, when you look at the, the, the departure of Wijnaldum and, and that relentless availability you had with, you know, just he's available every week, he's quick, he's strong, he gives you the legs, and then we don't ever really replace that. When Wynaldum departs the club, um, Elliot sort of becomes like the poster boy of the antithesis of the ideal Liverpool midfielder, um, and it's obviously an unfair label to give to a teenager. Nevertheless, a teenager as talented as as Harvey Elliott, um, and you know. I wrote a whole piece on the misprofiling of Harvey Elliott. You know, so many people have been saying, you know, he's not a midfielder. He can't play in midfield for us. Um, why, do, why doesn't he play at right wing? You know, cause he was so successful on loan at Blackburn in the championship playing at right wing. If you actually look at his heat map for Blackburn and compare it to his most recent heat map last season for Liverpool, it's almost identical, almost completely identical. So he's, He's not being asked to do anything dramatically different by Jurgen Klopp in terms of how he affects the game, and in terms of where on the pitch he is affecting the game. He's very wide, he's very close to the touchline. He's constantly looking to give Mohamed Salah uh, an easy five to ten yard pass out of a out of double coverage. Um, and I also think that he could be sort of a a real stalwart in, in the Liverpool midfield going forward, assuming we stick with this new shape, because this sort of uh, predetermined list of prerequisites that we had for the ideal Liverpool midfielder, you know, in strong, fast, tall, intensity, yada, 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 basically Genie Wine Wijnaldum in this new shape, that kind of just goes out the door because we have such a limited sample size. We don't actually know what the ideal Klopp midfielder is anymore. And in this piece that I wrote about Harvey Elliott, I said that, you can make a case that there has never been a time in Klopp's reign where we have been less qualified as fans to speak about what the midfield needs because you know in, in the tried and tested 4-3-3 that we played 500 matches in you know you and I could tell you exactly what uh, a 4-3-3 midfielder should be in the Klopp system but in this new system we we don't have any idea we we really do not know um so i think i think elliot could, you know, seize this opportunity to really be a uh, a, a standout player. And, you know, as and that's, that's without getting into the stats. Obviously, I've, I've gained this reputation of being such a Harvey L- Elliott advocate, because so many of the graphics I post uh, speak to him in such a, a flattering way. Obviously, the U21 duelists and dribblers, uh, he's top of the charts. Uh, In terms of offensive duels, one percentage and a quick definition of that is when Harvey Elliott has the ball and he's confronted with a 50-50, if that makes sense. So he has the ball in an offensive situation and he's confronted with a 50-50. He wins that duel 55% of the time, and that is more than any other under-21 Premier League midfielder in the league. Uh, In terms of successful dribble percentage, only Damsgaard from Brentford has a higher percentage than him. Um, so he's right up there, uh, above Olise, above Wilfred Nanto, you know, above guys that I see, you know, people saying, oh, you know, we should have signed Michael Olise before Palace got him. I'm just like, well, you know, Harvey Elliott, I think has all the tools. Um, and, uh, another one I wanted to bring up here, Mick, um, is just sort of how he compares to just elite players as well so when i when i take the premier league midfielder scape and i don't put an age uh construction on it um i have one called involved and effective which was uh xg chain by passes into the box completed quick definition of xg chain is how involved is a player in the creation of xg for their team so it so it essentially it makes it less biased towards the guy who actually plays the pass and creates the xg and creates the uh, the the opportunity to shoot. It just takes in every single pass that's involved in the creation of a of a move that ends in a shot. If that makes sense. So if you take that and you t- take passes into the box completed, Harvey Elliott is alone at the top next to the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandez, Martin Odegaard, th- three of the top five number tens in in the league. And this is not to say that Harvey Elliott is as good as these guys. Obviously, he has a lot of work to do to reach their level. But rather, my argument in presenting it this way is to say that Harvey Elliott, if given time and placed into a functional team, um, Harvey Elliott has all the underlying tools and and metrics that could result in him fulfilling his potential. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of Harvey Elliott. Um, I think he's been ferociously misrepresented, misprofiled, and made to be a scapegoat for a problem that he neither created nor is responsible for.
0: Yeah, there we go. That's uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is yeah. I mean, I also love Javier, and I can I agree completely. It is mad, like just how. Yeah, how I just feel like he the, t- the word I always come back to is overlooked. I just feel like uh, I'm sure you feel the same. Like he's just mm-hmm. he's just accepted now as part of the team, but not in a way where we're excited. It's like well, he's there, he can do a job, but he's not he's not sexy enough. He's not flashy enough with the ball. And I, I would say he is. We just need to allow him. Uh, and like you said, with the new system. We don't know what it's going to hold for Harvey Elliott, but it's the it's the best type of system where he can we can definitely get some of the good metrics that you just spoke about out of him and maybe elevate him to even better levels, which could be scary for a kid who's twenty. He's not he's still he's still very very young in terms of where he can be. Um, but he he also features in the one you you posted today, which is intercept and instigate. Um, and I just want to, I know he's in that one, but I just wanted to. I mean, the tweet you posted was basically because of Trent and how good Trent is. Yeah, I just wanted to let let you talk about that one because Trent is far and away the best in that list. Um, and it just yeah, if you say like it fills with excitement, and it, I'm sure it does. Everyone who's retweeted it and interacted with it, me included, just to see how, just to see where Trent's going to take this position because I think end of last season we've I think scratched the surface and what he can be in terms of renewed energy creation all the things we know Trent's been doing from right back but in now in a position where he probably feels more comfortable and has just became an, basically yeah, renewed completely in terms of um, energy he just looks like an, an, a new a new person really I think that's the, the best way I can describe it but it's it's going to be interesting for Trent isn't it, to see I mean for the rest of the league as well scary just how many? Um, I mean, people are already talking about assist records and 20 assists and whatever else. I mean, any other player, you'd be like, oh, you're being a bit optimistic there. But with Trent, you can never be too optimistic, can you? With Trent Alexander-Arnold. No,
1: absolutely not. Um, you know, Trent, generational player. Uh, just, you know, any, any superlative you, you want to throw at him. Um, we have only scratched the surface with what Trent can do in midfield or as an inverted fullback. And for the record, there's no point trying to create a thick line between the two. Uh, I've seen people saying, oh, but he's still technically gonna be playing it right back. But you know what I mean when I say Trent in midfield. So stop trying to nitpick me. Anyways, um yeah, we, we have really only scratched the surface. Um I'll be the first to admit that I didn't see it happening Trent in midfield not because I didn't think he could do it. I think anybody with that technical quality would be a good enough midfielder by any standard, but I just, knowing Klopp and knowing what a pragmatist he is and how much he backs the 4-3-3, and given how successful Trent was as a right back in the 4-3-3, I just didn't see, even when we were you know in in the pits of despair in January and February, I just didn't see that dramatic of a shakeup happening just because I thought, I I knew the extent of Klopp's pragmatism. And, you know, in years prior, it was going so well that it just didn't even need to happen. You know, Trent was putting up assist records from fullback. You know, he was, you know, statistically as impressive as Kevin De Bruyne from right back. You know, it was, there was just no need to shake it up. But obviously in our hour of need, Klopp felt the, felt the pressure to shake it up. And we've only just now seen what it can be. Um, I think, the the biggest change is that you're giving Trent a guy who I think by is no means a a poor defender, perhaps not a amazing defender, but by no means a poor defender, you're taking his defensive actions and you're making them a lot more simple when you, when you put him in the middle of the park. Um, This is because, you know, at fullback he's expected to bomb up the pitch and contribute in the final third because he is our, one of our top three final third threats just in terms of output but then he's also expected to sprint back and defend one v one against elite premier league wingers it just doesn't make sense if if you're trying to if you're trying to minimize the workload if you're trying to minimize the stress if you're trying to minimize the the scrutiny i would i don't think there's a single player in world football that could perform at such a high level on both ends of the pitch at right back it's just so so difficult but when you take Trent. And you put him into the middle, and you give him a pivot partner, and two center backs close behind him, and two midfielders in front of him. Um, he's now responsible for much less space. He's now responsible for dealing with much less elusive and physically impressive players. You know, he's not going up against Vinicius Junior. You know, he's not going up against Wilfred Zaha. You know, he's he's going up against other midfielders. If you take his actions and you make them a lot more simple in defense, he's inevitably going to look better. Um, the same could be said for Fabinho you know people were talking about Fabinho's resurgence in in the final month and a half in the system i think the exact same argument applies cuz all of a sudden fabinho has a pivot partner in midfield the the field is a lot the the pitch is a lot more compressed and his actions are a lot simpler whereas before in the 4-3-3 in that holding role uh, our off ball structure became so flawed that fabinho who I do think his legs started to betray him towards the end of his time at Liverpool. He was being left with dealing with 50 yards of space in the middle of the pitch in transition. And I don't think anybody could look good in that situation, but you take both of them, you put them as a, as a pivot partnership. Now they're responsible for less space and they're able to exhibit more of what they're good at. And obviously Trent from that central position in the final dozen or so uh, games of the season we saw a sharp increase in chances created from him even by his usual standards from right back and we saw him magnifying the talents of of other players uh, around him and you know the best the best players on your team they are floor raisers they take the floor of the team and they move it higher and i think moving trent centrally not only gives him his confidence back allows him to express himself but you could also make the case you are getting the most out of him. And and I think we could be talking about a, as long as everything goes right in terms of our recruitment, we could be talking about a player of the year, a candidate uh, this time next year.
0: Yeah, most definitely. I think it's, yeah, you, like I said, you can't be too optimistic about what Trent can do, and especially in those positions where, yeah, you can pick the ball up in in a space. And I, I think I'm the same. and I think most people would, would have been the same. Like, we wouldn't have seen... I think it was always the shout, like, just put Trent in midfield. He's good enough. Mm-hmm. Or, like, put him right midfield or whatever. Just basically wanted them to get away from, like, exactly what you've said, to be 1v1 against defenders, uh, against left-wingers, I should say, when he's just been basically in the far right-hand corner of the pitch trying to cross in into the box. It's, like you said, it's impossible to do. So if you if you limit those, I think... Which we and hopefully this season you'll go on to do even even better things. Um, but yeah, let's let's before we before we finish up, I just wanted to talk about the start of preseason, which is which is on Wednesday. So it's only a couple of days. I think it's half five kickoff. So it's basically forty eight hours from now. Liverpool, Liverpool's first um, starting eleven for first preseason game will be out. And I just I just wanted to get your take on who you are most excited for because I know like we've we, McAllister obviously, but Connor Bradley's fresh back offers his, his loan. Um, there's Bacetic, who I also know you're a big admirer of. I'm the same. But there's also Ben Doak, who ridiculously good. Not not 18 until November. There's a lot of players, like I said. There's Fucking a lot of players. Hell. There's players that have, have got a lot to prove. But I think there's in in a, in a I suppose a a, a slightly negative way because they need to they need to be better. But like the likes of Bacetic, Doak. Kind of Bradley, the the world the, the world just open for them to to see, and I'm sure I'm sure Klopp will want to get them into into the starting eleven in these friendlies to see what they're all about this season. Um, but who are you most excited to to see? Um,
1: w- without going for one of the mainstream news signings, you know, I last summer I had a my academy wildcard was Pochettit in preseason. That's who I was looking forward to seeing because. Um, guys who watch the Academy a whole lot more than I do, which is never. Um, <laughs> they, they were making a big deal out of Stefan Bocetich, and they're saying he's, he's ready for a step up. Pep Linders and Alex Inglethorpe have spoken very admirably about him, um, and he ended up showing people what he could do in preseason, and then obviously he got his chance later in the season. Um, ben Doak is obviously a big one that I'm going to be watching. Uh, again, people who watch the Academy religiously, have said, um, I believe it was Paul Tompkins who said this, Paul, don't don't quote me on this, but uh, somebody from the Tompkins Times, I believe, said Ben Doak is as ready for the Premier League, or sorry, the last time they saw a Liverpool Academy product as ready for the next level as Ben Doak was Michael Owen. Now, I, I don't want to contribute to the insane amount of hype and scrutiny that um teenagers in football especially Liverpool Academy graduates are, are put under but that is that is sort of the hype that's been given to him by people who actually watch Academy football and from what little I've seen of Ben Doak, he I mean skill wise and, and speed wise speed over five ten yards yeah he, he's right up there with with anybody at senior level so it's all about refining his game getting him not just the opportunities, but getting him, you know, alongside Mohamed Salah. So you can see how he works the space. You know, you can see when when you're sort of when when you sort of have to pause and, and wait for teammates, just the sort of nuances that just come with time. And luckily for Ben Doak, like you said, not even 18 yet. Time is something he has plenty of. Um, I think just the big question is whether or not he hangs around the academy or he gets a lone move. I think at this point. Harvey Elliott went on loan in the championship, 17, 18. I think he turns 18 while he's at Blackburn. Um, so I think it's right around the time. I, th- I think the, the development crew gets together and decide who gets a loan. Um, I think Ben Doak, it would not surprise me to see him lining up for a championship outfit uh, for, the, for the next season. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if they end up keeping him around. Um, my, my super, or my, my deep cut sort of name, my, my very hipsterish Academy name that I'm going to be watching is, uh, Bobby Clark, um, who, who we saw, I think this time last season, I think he did play in preseason last season, but the athletic made such a big deal of it when we lured him away from Newcastle uh, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, you know, describing as him as one of the most highly rated players, his age in the country, um. And I remember him having some decent moments last season and preseason. So I'm going to be watching him very closely and I'm going to be curious to see where he goes on loan this season. Cause I would imagine at his age, being a bit older than Ben Doak, I, I think he would get um, a preseason move. Um, and obviously, uh, not my choice, but some of my friends are talking about uh, Jarell Kwanzaa, big center back, uh, six foot five and a half should be in the NBA. You know, the Lakers need him more than we do. But um, yeah, uh, hopefully it's not just a case of Billy Comitio all over again, where people are like, oh, he's big, isn't he? He can do a job. And then it just doesn't quite end up panning out. But um, I, again, Ac- Academy watchers uh, talk about him in sort of a different bracket of quality than than Billy Comitio. So those are the handful of Academy kids I'm going to be on the lookout for. Uh I'm also gonna be a bit upset if I don't get a subversized screamer in preseason. I mean, what was it all for, if if not that? <laughs> but generally speaking, I'm really looking forward to preseason.
0: Yeah, it's uh yeah, there's there's a lot of names, isn't he? Like yeah, Kwanzaa, um yeah, Doke. I don't know. I, I feel like with Doke, when you watch him in the Academy games, it is like he's 25 and they're all 15. And that he's just like, right, lads, just give me the ball. I'll, I'm going to do some with it. I think that's there's, there's levels like that where, like you said, he's getting related to what what Michael Home was doing. I think it's the hype's right in that regard. But then you get players like Quanser who look very good, but they're not like they're not majorly like wow standing out. Type of players, I think it's. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's different. There's different levels to it. But yeah, I think Doak for me is the one I'm looking at because even even in the small amount of minutes we saw last year, the, I mean the moment where he sent um, sent Digne for a hot dog, and it was just there's, just little just a little bit of like that, where you go, yeah, this kid's this kid's fucking good. Like just just throw him on there. It's, it's the fearlessness I think he's got. I think yeah, like you said, refine the game, the refine his game, and then wow, he could be, he could be very good. I think I think. I think a yeah, I think a loan would be good, but I I just kinda wanna keep him. I wanna keep him and just be like mm-hmm. cup cup games. Just go and do your thing. And if you do well in the cups, you've got a you've got a shout of coming on off the bench more often than in the league and stuff. So especially mm-hmm. with Europa League as well. So I mean, we've got a lot of options and Liverpool still need to do quite a lot of business if uh oh, if yeah. Hen Fabinho go. So there's there's a there's a lot to sort out, isn't he still?
1: Mm-hmm. Cur- Curtis Jones was one of those guys who was clearly too good for the academy. Yeah, And, you know, even as someone who doesn't watch the Academy, the the clips of Curtis Jones just tearing it up um, were, were making their way to me when he was like 15, 16 years old. Um, so it was uh, ho- hopefully Ben Doak is able to bridge that admittedly big gap of being too good for youth football, but also good enough. For Liverpool, and that that's been an increasingly big gap. It used to be smaller back in the day when we weren't that good, um, but it's a gap that you saw guys like Harry Wilson, not not Foley, Bridge, you know, Rian Brewster, um, lads who were so dominant at, at youth level that looked so like that looked like they could just you know waltz into Premier League football. And then as we you know come to understand, that gap is bigger than people think. So it, it, it's a it's a big ask uh, of Ben Doak uh, to to make that transition, and because not everybody does it, and and talent is unfortunately uh, no guarantee. And, and from what I've heard about Harry Wilson, there there zero question over his his talent or his or his work rate or or things like that. You just seem to have everything, and it it still wasn't enough because he's trying to break into Liverpool when what was it like twenty? 18, 2019 is when he starts to become a bit too old for academy football, and it's sort of a will-he-won't-he moment. So ideally, guys like Ben Doak don't fall uh, into that trap. But again, I'm not averse to him staying around, because if he ends up going out on loan next season as opposed to this one, he's still only 18. And you could make a case that he's as, he is more of a man's body at that point, more ready for championship football. So, yeah, I mean, I, I love preseason. I don't know about you. So it's so stress-free because as Liverpool fans, we, we spent so much of the last five years having every single match mean the weight of the world, almost every single match, you know, those title races. So these rare opportunities where you, uh, you get to have a very stress-free experience of watching Liverpool and ingesting content, oh, I, I don't take a second of it for granted.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's it's definitely exciting to see, and the whole bunch of players you just mentioned will be having some game time, so we will be seeing little glimpses of, um, I suppose, trial and error with some of them, see where they can fit in, see what they can we, they can produce in the Liverpool team. Um, but yeah, Evan, we will leave it there. Um, I think I said we'll, we'll aim for half an hour, 40 minutes, but we're, we're near an hour, but it's justified when you get stuck into a lot of the questions that remain unanswered, but some of the questions that we can we can answer already in terms of what Liverpool are going to be doing this season. But thanks very much for um, for jumping on, really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it was it was a great time, and you know when when you ask when you ask me about Harvey Elliott, you always get more <laughs> than you bargained for. So yeah, but yeah, a, a great time and a great
0: chat, mate. Nice one. Um, yeah, if you're not following Evan on Twitter then I suggest you do it. Uh, I will put the link to his Twitter and stuff in the description on the show. So if you want to go and just get stuck into a load of statistical stuff on what Liverpool might be doing and ingest that and get excited, maybe unnecessarily, over players we might not sign, then, yeah, jump on the train and have a look at it. Um, But yeah, nice one, Evan, for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Nice Nice one, everyone, for listening, as always. Really appreciate the support recently. And yeah, Nice one. We'll see you all very soon.
1: I'm Jamie Carragher, and you are listening to the Copite Podcast. Podcast Network.